Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon on Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation at noon, Wednesdays, in the Georgia College Library. Our topic of conversation for this time's talk is the question, what is at stake in our relationship with NATO? My guest today is Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock. Harold Mock, welcome to the WRGC studio. Thank you, Daniel. I'm glad to be here. In July, United States President Donald Trump rocked boats before and during a North Atlantic Treaty Organization summit, but left claiming NATO is probably the best ever done. Now that we've had four months to analyze the president's performance, what is the state of relations between the United States and NATO? The most straightforward answer is that at this point in our history, um, NATO relations are quite strained. The Trump administration came into office in many ways seeking to break ties with many things in the past, including what had been both Republican and Democratic orthodoxy. What has traditionally been a sacred relationship, that is the relationship between the United States and its NATO allies, has been something that the Trump administration has put into dispute. So on a macro level, the relationship with our NATO allies is quite strained, and we saw that reflected in the summit in July. We also have seen it in the popular press and in public statements issued by leaders of NATO countries since July. On perhaps a more micro level, Donald Trump's performance aside this summer U.S. policy has not substantially changed. That is, we have a president who makes maybe bold public pronouncements, but uh, on a day-to-day basis, U.S. diplomacy among the diplomats responsible for these portfolios, to my observation, has not substantially changed. Much of what we have seen, I think, has been perhaps public theater. And how are we to understand and perhaps live in that kind of paradox, uh, whereas policy is not changing uh, below the surface, uh, but the surface is very choppy? And I think it could be said that the president's comments and remarks and attitudes towards these longstanding alliances is designed to tear them down in the public mind. That's an excellent observation, and it's one that I think is the most important question that we should be asking. Some weeks ago, NPR political correspondent Mara Eliasson wrote a piece called The Shallow State, and what she was referring to is Donald Trump's consistent reference to what he calls the deep state, the career bureaucrats who he sees as perhaps trying to stymie his agenda and to undercut him from within. And Mara Eliasson's contention, and I think it's an accurate one, is that that is not how American politics works. That's not how bureaucracies work. In fact, what she contends is that 
what is going on beneath the surface is, in fact, relatively consistent, but it is the high-level politics. It's cabinet officers. It is White House officials who are making a lot of waves. What is quite dangerous in the NATO relationship, and perhaps more directly to your question, is that NATO at its heart is a promise. It is the belief that the members of the alliance, including the United States, are committed to one another and committed to one another's security and protection. If we have a political leader who speaks about NATO in dismissive terms or who tries to reduce what has been a very successful 70-year alliance, uh, tries to reduce it down to a bargaining relationship or some sort of transaction, then it undercuts, it erodes the sanctity of that relationship. So if I were on the other side of the Atlantic, if I were an elected official of one of the member governments of our NATO allies, I would be quite concerned that what has traditionally been a consistent, stable relationship is, as you say, um, perhaps quite choppy. And how deep is the patience then of those allies across the world when they see a popularly elected official from the United States so consistently undercutting these relationships? There's not a uniform answer to that question. Each member of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization has its own history, its own reasons for belonging to the alliance. Each government has its own strategic interests. So some of the member states, for instance, Germany or the United Kingdom, have been members of the alliance in the case of Germany since 1955, the United Kingdom since the founding in April of 1949, and have seen the NATO relationship go up and down. They have seen the vicissitudes that come with any sort of alliance. Some of our members in the alliance, particularly the post-Soviet states, have a very different set of strategic interests. They are often members of the alliance because of security concerns and see NATO as a means of anchoring themselves to the Western world in the wake of the Cold War. So the answer to your question is perhaps quite different for some of the newer members of the alliance, and particularly those with great security concerns along the Russian border. Well, um, it's time for us to take a short break now. So if you're just joining us, you are listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're continuing our series of collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Today, we're previewing the Times Talk entitled, What is at Stake in Our Relationship with NATO? I'm joined in the studio by Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more. Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we're having another of our Times Talk conversations. Of course, we're previewing the Times Talk that will take place at noon on Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. That Times Talk will be entitled, What is at Stake in Our Relationship with NATO? I'm joined in the studio by Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock. Now, in that last segment, as we were leaving, we were talking about some of the long views that some of our NATO allies take. In the now, of course, I want to ask, where does this internal strife within the NATO organization, how does that compare with some of the challenges that NATO was uh, created to address or some of the ones that um, other issues in our current times uh, bring to the table for the NATO member nations? It's a wonderful question. As I mentioned, NATO was established in April of 1949. It was established in the wake of the Second World War's destruction and on the eve of the Cold War becoming an institutionalized concept. NATO has struggled a great deal institutionally in those many years precisely because it is a large organization made up of many countries, not all of whom see eye to eye all the time. So certainly what we see today is maybe a crisis. Certainly in the long history of NATO, it is is certainly one of the important struggles. But there have been other moments in the history of the North Atlantic Alliance that certainly rocked the institution to its core. The most notable would be in the mid and late 1960s, when the United States was embroiled in the Vietnam conflict. The European allies certainly struggled in their relationship with the United States and broke with United States policy over Vietnam. That was a substantial challenge to the alliance. There were also some other issues at stake then involving U.S. nuclear posture that made the Europeans and the United States perhaps see uh, different sides of an issue. The other important era in that regard was the early 1980s. Some of our listeners who remember that time period may remember a lot of protest in major European cities, Greenham Common, uh, big protests in the West German capital of Bonn, uh, protests in London and Trafalgar Square over the United States deploying intermediate-range ballistic missiles to Europe. That was perhaps to date the most difficult episode in the history of the alliance. So what we see today is a challenge. It is something that is going to be a struggle, I think, for years to come in the sense that either the Trump administration or whomever succeeds uh, President Trump and, and his administration will have to make some decisions, whether that is to repair these important relationships or to maybe double down on the Trumpian logic. But in the grand history of the alliance, we have seen episodes like this before. NATO has proven itself time and again to be a resilient organization and one that typically is stronger as a result of its disputes or its disagreements. And so throughout that history, would you say that these kinds of times of disunity within that alliance are a, a normal occurrence um, outside of the norm or, or just uh, about on par with what we've seen? What we're seeing now is certainly outside of the norm in the sense that it is the United States that is questioning the utility of the alliance itself. Since the 1940s, U.S. foreign policy has largely focused on promoting a liberal international order. 
In short, the United States is more peaceful and prosperous when we live in a peaceful and prosperous world. Our fortunes are hitched to the fortunes of those around us. It is not the success of others that makes us fail. It is the failure of others that makes us fail. That has been roughly a consensus in U.S. foreign policy on both the left and the right since the 1940s, and NATO is the very embodiment of that. NATO is an institution that that was designed to keep that liberal international order institutionalized and to hitch the interests of Western Europe to the United States. And with that in mind, what is the root of some of these uh, problems that uh, are most especially espoused by our president, um, but also uh, must have their roots um, within the broader American electorate? Sure. In the same way that there's been a consensus of the value of NATO, there has also been a consensus among both Republicans and Democrats that our NATO allies need to, as Donald Trump says, pay their fair share. We often read about this. Your listeners will uh, have heard of this burden-sharing disagreement. The most forceful articulation of this came from Robert Gates, formerly Secretary of Defense, who said that, and I think quite rightly so, that our NATO allies do need to meet the agreed-upon spending targets. NATO is not a sort of club that one pays into, or it's not an, uh, you know, a membership organization where you have to pay your dues every year. NATO is funded by the mutual agreement of its members that they will aim to spend roughly 2% of their gross domestic product, of their GDP, on defense. The United States spends a good bit more than that at um, between 3.2 and 3.5% of its GDP. But most of the other member states are below that 2% GDP target. So in particular, this summer at the NATO summit, Donald Trump singled out Angela Merkel, who is the chancellor of Germany, arguing that Germany is not paying its fair share of NATO defense spending. It was even rumored and reported in the New York Times that when Angela Merkel came to Washington, that Donald Trump presented her with a, uh, a mock invoice uh, for years of back payment. And that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the alliance is. Nobody owes the United States anything. It's simply based on an agreement that member states will aim to spend about 2% of their gross domestic product on defense. Is it something that can be so easily uh, boiled down to just dollars and cents, or are there other intangibles that we are not introducing into the conversation we have about NATO here in the United States? So certainly, I believe, and um, and most scholars of post-war Europe believe, that the value of NATO is more than simply the institution that was created by the Washington Treaty. The value of NATO, in maybe grand historical terms, is that it has been an alliance that took a continent which for a thousand years had not known a generation without war and created a long period of peace and prosperity in the wake of World War II. It's important for us to remember how utterly devastated Europe was in 1945. There were millions of people who had died, all told maybe between 70 and 100 million people died as a result of World War II. 
Many more civilians died than soldiers on the battlefield. It was destruction that has been unparalleled in human history. And in the wake of that kind of terror, in the wake of that famine and bloodshed, it makes sense that we would build an institution that would help ensure generations of peace. NATO has been one of those institutions. Well, it's happened again. We're going to take another moment for a short break right now. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're previewing the upcoming Times Talk. It is entitled, What is at Stake in Our Relationship with NATO? I'm talking in the studio today with Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you are just joining us, I want to take this opportunity to invite you out to the next Times Talk. Of course, the Times Talk takes place at noon each Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. The events are free and open to the public, so if you're enjoying our conversation tonight, please consider joining the discussion tomorrow at noon in the Georgia College Library. Today, we are asking the question, what is at stake in our relationship with NATO? I'm talking in the WRGC studio with Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock. Now, you're presenting two opinion pieces that are very contemporary to that NATO summit that happened this summer. One of those articles described NATO as the anchor of an American-led and American-financed peace. Oh, what have been the benefits that NATO accrues for American citizens, uh, like those who may be tuning in tonight? Certainly, the benefits have been many. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization is both an intergovernmental political consultative organization and a military alliance. It was first envisioned in the wake of the Second World War, and it was founded by 12 signatory states of the Washington Treaty, what we also call the North Atlantic Treaty. The treaty commits its members to mutual consultation and, if necessary, the option of collective military force to protect the North Atlantic area. That includes the territories of the individual member states, uh, including their territories, personnel, vessels, and aircraft in the Mediterranean and north of the Tropic of Cancer. 
Now, that may seem like a, a very detailed summary, but it has an important role because in the fifth article of the NATO treaty, we agreed that an attack on one would be considered an attack on all. When NATO was created in 1949, there was one major threat that uh, the Western allies feared, and it was the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union is gone now, and certainly at the end of the Cold War, many people asked, well, has NATO outlived its purpose? The Cold War is over. The Soviet Union is no longer a threat. Many of our listeners will remember duck and cover drills, will remember what the Cold War was in the American psyche. And those were valid questions to be asked. An important answer to those questions came on September 11, 2001, because until that date, Article 5 had never been invoked. That is, the Soviet Union or any adversary had never attacked the states of Western Europe, West Germany or Luxembourg or France and so on. But on September 11, 2001, the United States, what had been certainly militarily the strongest member of the North Atlantic Alliance, came under attack. And the only time in the alliance's history that Article 5 was invoked was on September 11th. And it was a bit of an irony that it wasn't the United States coming to the defense of smaller, perhaps weaker Western European allies. It was the Western European allies coming to the defense and the aid of the United States, which is what we saw after September 11th. So in terms of understanding the utility of the alliance, it still maintains an important purpose in the world today. Former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright said that if NATO didn't exist, we would need to create something like it. We, according to Secretary Albright, are quite fortunate that we have this alliance that has been built up over so many years. Structurally, and this may be a little wonkish uh, for some of our listeners, but structurally, NATO has also revolutionized military affairs in the modern world. NATO has established uniform command structures and common reporting names for military equipment and maneuvers, and the alliance has expedited defense planning for its members. In short, it's much easier for allies to plan for their defense together than it is for each state to try to prepare separately. And NATO has built that into its structures. NATO has worked toward military specialization among its allies. So ultimately, for those of us who are maybe cost conscious, it makes defense a more efficient operation. And as we look at an evolving state of conflicts uh, between nations, is NATO working to look at uh, threats or other challenges to peace and prosperity uh, that may not have a traditional mode of threat? That's a wonderful question, and it is one that we have asked many times in the past 20 years, certainly since the Bush administration launched what has been called the Global War on Terror. When Donald Trump was running for office in the Republican primary in 2015 and 16, he spoke very badly of NATO, and he said that NATO was obsolete. He used that word obsolete, saying that, um, in his words, NATO doesn't do terrorism, meaning that the North Atlantic Alliance does not work to combat terrorism. Nothing could be further from the truth. As I said, NATO is a consultative body, 
And we have certainly across the past um, 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, our NATO allies boots on the ground, along with American sailor soldiers, airmen and Marines, fighting to keep the peace, not just in their homes, but in ours as well. So shared resources, shared information, a more expedient defense planning process are some of the virtues that have been brought to us by NATO. And we have seen a, maybe in in Donald Trump's phrase, we have seen a return on that investment. And now to ask you personally, we're, we come into our conversation talking about our, our rockiness to the current state of affairs in NATO. What is your outlook? Certainly, I should note here that my views do not necessarily reflect the views of Georgia College or of the Board of Regents in the state of Georgia. I am a scholar of post-war European history, and selfishly, I'm Maybe a little bit glad that people are talking about and interested in NATO because until quite recently, it's not been something that we've talked about a great deal politically. My own outlook is to say that the alliance is a strong institution and has remained a strong institution for a very long period of time. It has weathered certainly uh, the Cold War and many harrowing episodes across the, the second half of the 20th century, and it will remain resilient in the years to come. It's important for all of us to remember, and it's important for your listeners to remember, that NATO has never been a political football, as it has become in the past few years. Both Republican and Democratic administrations have seen NATO as the bedrock of American foreign policy since 1949. That includes noted pacifists uh, such as Jimmy Carter and also Cold War hawks such as Ronald Reagan. We have seen NATO take on a political character in recent years that is quite unprecedented. And I would encourage all of your listeners to remember that NATO was not designed to be a political institution. My personal belief is perhaps that Donald Trump is using NATO a bit as a foil. He's trying to make a statement about the United States maybe overextending itself or taking interest in parts of the world that he doesn't see as relevant to American security. And NATO's a good foil for that. But many of his his comments, I believe, are based on a misunderstanding of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Well, we're coming to the end of our time today. And so I'm going to ask you that last perennial Times Talk question. What do you hope your audiences take away from the conversation at the Times Talk tomorrow? Certainly, I hope that uh, the younger people in the audience, our students at Georgia College, learn something of NATO and what this alliance is. They maybe have read about it in in their history books. They've learned about it in their politics classes. But in short, I want for them to learn something of this important organization, something that has defined the peace for decades. And I hope that we have a good and frank exchange between the guests who are at the Times Talk That's the great virtue of Times Talk and the work that we do at Georgia College is we have opportunities to engage constructively and to answer some really complicated questions. In the way of some parting words, I would say that, in short, NATO is the reason that the free world remains free. And I would like to put that assertion to our guests at Times Talk and see if it gives us something to discuss. Well, Harold Mock, I want to thank you for discussing this today with our audience here on Georgia College Connections. Certainly, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here. 
You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today we had another in our series of collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Of course, the Times Talk is free and open to the public, so if you enjoyed our conversation today, please go out and become a part of the discussion at noon on Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It was my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.